Hey, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. When was the last time you sat around a water cooler waiting to have a conversation with your friends to discuss what you saw on TV last night? Is that possibly coming back? That and what's happening with DC? You'll find out on this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Morning, Keith. Morning. Guess what I'm drinking right here? Your Vision Craft Brew. Vision Craft Brew. Because you're so smart. I can tell already you've been so on it. No technical glitches this morning. (laughs) You're going to crush the intro. Because, you know, that's what you do when you drink the Vision Craft Brew. It, uh, I got mine too, them. see? Aha! Eep. You know what? There used to be... Do you remember going into work and you would, like, meet in the in the um, kitchen and you'd... That's what you'd, everyone was addicted to coffee because they really wanted to, like, just hang out by the coffee machine, the water cooler, yeah. and grab all yep. that stuff. Yep. I kind of miss those water cooler moments. There was, like, where, for me, you know, like, especially Friday morning after Survivor was on TV. It was like, <laughs> everybody was talking about what happened the previous night on Survivor or yeah. Friends or whatever. I didn't watch it, but yeah. Oh, man. I can remember calling my neighbor and saying, hey, here's where my key is hidden. Will you please go into my house and start my VCR? Because I didn't put, set the timer for it. Can you start the VCR so it will record Survivors? So when we get home, we can watch it. Yeah, that show for me was... Oddly enough, I didn't watch the premiere, but Glee, when I went into work after the premiere, everybody was talking about it. Everyone was talking about how great it was. Everyone was playing the song. I mean, it was insane. So I was like, oh, I guess yeah. I have to watch this. <laughs> you start watching it. <laughs> start watching you, it. Everyone's talking about it. <laughs> there was no replay. You had to, you had to just yeah, jump no. in where you could. I mean, there was TiVo, but I didn't have TiVo. You like had to watch it when it premiered. Yeah. 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 I know. It, it put a great time. I almost, um, you know, with the end of the blockbuster, I think we're, we also kind of just saw the end of that kind of cultural moment too, where when we've talked about this before, but where everybody is in sync watching the same show at the same time so that there's a community experience of a film or TV show that we could all relate to. And then it has a pop culture moment to it because of the influence it has on that moment. Yeah. I can think of like Saturday night live skits that we could all quote, Mm. You know, saying on Monday mornings. Yeah. Yeah. You're bringing those to uh, school or whatever. Um, So, yeah, pretty interesting. I wonder what if we're going to see the end of it or that's going to evolve. I'm just curious. I don't know. It's interesting because I was reading an article this past week because of um, the Game of Thrones, um, the prequel, I guess, premiering last week. And there was an article about how Game of Thrones was actually the original Game of Thrones was really the last water cooler show. That everyone could, everyone was really talking about it on, I mean, it would premiere on Sunday, you go on a Monday, everyone was like, oh, did you watch, I mean, especially, I guess, during the Red Wedding episode, that was like a big thing, and, you know, you show up, and everyone's talking about it, and, you know, then we had sort of went to the pandemic, and it sort of, obviously, that all kind of fell apart, and then Ted Lasso became the show that everybody was talking about, because everybody was at home. Oh, totally. And it was like- Ted Lasso f- was totally that moment. The feel-good show- and it's interesting because this past week on like, I think Tuesday, there was a video running all, uh, that, you know, scanned the interwebs um, of, of a shot outside of a New York apartment building. And you could see that there were probably like almost 10 windows. They were all watching the Game of Thrones because the, the lights were all, you know, you could see they all had their lights off. And you could see where the lights were going, you know, going up, going down. because they were all watching the same episode, which is kind of cool. That's cool. Because yeah. it kind of reminds, similar to what we were talking about last week, sort of the loss of a communal moment. 
in terms of, um, you know, being in a theater and, you know, having that experience of waiting in line, as annoying as it was, it still felt like a communal moment. I guess this is the 21st century, you know, communal moment <laughs> where everyone's yeah, right. in their apartments like a- by themselves watching and maybe tweeting about it. And maybe that's, you know, that's how they interact. That's like so, uh, maybe, elevator talk instead of water cooler yeah. talk. It's like when you get in the elevator, you say, like, do you watch Game of Thrones last night? And that in that building specifically, they would totally be hopeful and do that. Oh, they totally would be. Because I'm sure they're all like, oh, my God, that's my building. Oh, two orders down. I know who that is. I'm going to go talk. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to go watch it with him. <laughs> or her next oh, week. Yeah, now, right. And then there's just one big screen instead of what I tell you. Yeah, it's just going to be one big screen. Yeah, it's going to be one of the apartments is going to be watching it, not, not 10 of them. Ted Lasso was totally that moment um, yes. a couple years ago where we were all analyzing it. No matter what call I was on, and it didn't matter what episode you were on, we were basically discussing, why did we like this so much? What's mm-hmm. so amazing about this and fun? And the characters were quirky. And most of the actors were completely unknown actors. So just to appreciate even a cast of people. Well, I think it was because it was, you know, we would be watching TV, you know, you're watching TV and it's like, okay, here, this city's shutting down, this city's shutting down. Um, this is the latest on the relief bill and these people are having trouble getting their unemployment process. I mean, it was just one depressing thing after another. Kids are at home, depressed, you know, not able to go to school. And then there was Ted Lasso, which was just so positive and not negative. And he was, you know, Ted kind of embodied sort of what we all needed at that moment, which was sort of this positive guy who's not negative, surrounded by all these cynics who are just jaded and have chips on their shoulder. And he's just this guy who shows up like, Hey, life's great. I, you know, I'm a, I'm a, you know, high school football or a college football coach who landed this huge gig and I'm going to make the best of it. And, you know, it was just him and his buddy in a brand new city. And I just, I think that was just, it was like a tonic, like a warm cup of milk that we kind of all needed in sort of a time of just complete. And that way it was, worth talking about if otherwise we were talking about all the other word we were using is COVID or pan, uh, pandemic yeah. in every pandemic. other language so it's the one we could do use well, different words <laughs> yeah and i think you're right i think their game of throne i wasn't um i wasn't part of the wave of people that were working up to that last episode of game of thrones but there was definitely a gigantic cultural moment for the end of the the series oh yeah well i mean when when i was when i was at that former company that you and i used to work at um we that was one of like we were i was working on the promos for the for the last season and everybody in the office every time we got a new bit of footage was like oh i want to see it i want to see it i want to see it because they wanted to see (laughs) if there's anything new in there that they hadn't seen yet we usually only got stuff that had already aired but every now and then we'd get something that was only just like releasing that day and they may not have seen it yet so I mean, yeah. it was definitely one of those moments where everybody in the office was always talking about it. You know, we had in, you know, one of those bar, lunch bar, mm-hmm. lunch counters, and everyone would just sort of hang out on Monday mornings and just talk about Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that's the, the end of that. I don't know if we'll be able to describe it to a generation who didn't have those moments. You know, the... Yeah. Especially a generation that would spend half of their entertainment time on, in a video game they can all appreciate solving a certain problem and share the results. I think that um, the whole Twitch effect is watching people play the game in order to share yeah. the, the game, gaming experience. Um, but it's still very spread out. I mean, the, the yeah. media diaspora is just way too wide to 
um, really kind of find those those specific moments. It'd be great if this new Game of Thrones has a little bit of a hit. I was like, where I always like when media crosses over to pop culture. It's it's like a fun moment. It is. I mean, it, it's nice when it when it happens and it gives us something communal to talk about without spitting fire at each other. Which yeah. you know, those minute moments are so few and far between that it's nice to have you know because everything has become so politicized. I guess over the course of the last three or four years. You can't even watch a football game anymore without some semblance of a political event coming up or something. And that used to be the one thing we all had in common. And that kind of, I mean, it's getting better. It's returning sort of things are sort of starting to stabilize in that realm. But the pop culture moment was still the thing that we always sort of could watch. And there was never real. I think that's why, you know, um, Stranger Things was always such a big deal because it was so like non it was, I mean, it was political, but it was something we all agree like, yeah, the Russians bad. Like we all sort of now agree yeah. on that. Like yeah. the Soviets were bad in the eighties. So we got like, there's an agreement now. And so there's no like arguing over like, well, you know, you know, none of that. So it's like, it's an easy show. And then game of Thrones in prequel is very much a sort of, it's a family drama. Basically it's Shakespearean. It's a Greek tragedy. Oh, here we go. Someone's going to want to, you know, play, you know, the, the chess game to become the next, the heir to the throne. I mean, it's all something it speaks to sort of the myth loving, um, the myth loving that's sort of ingrained in us as a, as a human species. Yeah. You know, I think, um, maybe some, just some of what we process of how Marvel has played itself out, how stores played itself out. We don't really know where our teeth are going to be hooked into next to appreciate. Although it's interesting. I, uh, I went to another movie, uh, recently and Ma- Maverick is still in my local theater. Maverick is still taking over one of those theaters on a daily basis. Oh yeah. So clearly Maverick has played its, played its hands well, and everyone could at least have seen it one time. As is, as is Elvis now, which is now Baz Luhrmann's <laughs> highest grossing domestic, highest grossing pick ever. Mm, yeah. I loved Elvis. It was great. So, I mean, everyone thought Elvis was going to be a total, oh, I don't think people are going to come see that. And it's like a huge hit. And apparently uh, on Twitter, someone was saying they went this week and the theater was still full. Yeah. So there you go. I, I will totally see. I, I'll see Elvis. I think my my family, some of my family has seen it three times. Wow. Uh, Elvis. Yeah. It's, it is, um, it's just such a great film in all of its ways. The, the yeah. directing, the experience, the way the effects are made, the story blends together. You know, the, the actual storyline is one we already know, but I think we're relating to Elvis in a different way, you know, yep. in the movie. Um, so there is, you know, there's kind of like these hits, I guess. We call it a hit in that everyone has seen it and can relate to it. But pop culture, I think, is the water cooler moment that happens. And yep. I some of the end of... Um, the era we're seeing is going to shift into just something else, something new. Um, I think that's exciting. It's pretty interesting. I, yep. You know, the um, I, I want to I ask you another question because I was wondering about this as the um, over the last couple of weeks. You know, what happens to what happens to the Batgirl film? What happens to a film when it's been killed? Is it like it? Is it never dragged out later on and re-edited or? Like what's happening right now with the movie? Well, what they're doing right now with the movie is like um, they've been screening it for cast and crew just so, you know, because I understand that uh, having worked on a on a film on set, 
Um, anytime you see footage, it's an exciting moment. I remember my first day on Van Helsing, which, <coughs> excuse me, which is the Hugh Jackman movie. Um, I was I was getting a tour, and I went to the the, um, the commissary tent, which because we were shooting over at the the uh, Howard Hughes Spruce Goose Spruce Goose Hangers, which is now Hangers. where Google is in uh, Silicon wow. Beach and Playa del Rey. <laughs> for those of you <clears throat> who do not live in LA. Um, and I was getting a tour and I walked in and they were premiering the first cut, like cut footage. Like a basic, it was almost like a little teaser that, uh, the editor, um, had Bob Ducey, the editor of the film had cut. And it was, it was so cool. I was like, I was like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like it was really one of the first experiences. Like I'm actually in the factory, you know? Yeah. And you know, everyone was excited. You know, the, all the crew was, you know, enraptured because, you know, you spend hours upon hours shooting all this stuff. And, so much of that was shot, so much of it was shot practically, which was really cool. Like yeah, I could walk into Frankenstein's laboratory and they had it built. I could walk into um, Dracula's castle. It was built. Like this was all, it was a lot of it was practical. Now they probably all shoot it on green screen. Now granted they did shoot some of it on green screen, but still it's like you, you don't see it all come together. So having screening it for the first time was a really special experience seeing it all put together scoring everything i was like wow it was really cool so i think this is a way for you know warner brothers to be like yeah we know you guys busted your butt we don't want you to completely go unrewarded so warner brothers cans the movie but they get send an invitation to everyone or who, who gets to see it i think yeah i think it was just like come come see it before we lock it away and it's gone forever um i oh. think part of the i i don't know the ins and outs of tax write-offs but i think part of it is you cannot show it anywhere you cannot make one single dime off it at all hmm. if it's going to be a tax write-off so that's why they're basically going to show it and they're going to lock it up and we'll never and same thing with the scooby movie i don't know well, I'm, i think they're going to do i guess they like kind of morbidly called it a funeral screen <laughs> Oh, are you serious? <laughs> before it gets like locked away and disappears when all so, the limousines pull up and all the people get out like a funeral <laughs> yeah limousine everyone's dressed in black yeah, and right. you know mourning oh, my. um they sing a few hymns after it's wrapped uh yeah right but uh yeah so i guess that's what's happened i mean it's i you know i completely understand why people would want to see it i you know i've been there and i know what it's like having been there upon out you know some 14 15 16 hour days on set and you know to have your work not seen not actually see the finished product now i don't know how much of it's finished i don't know yeah, if, right. there's probably temp score um if some of the visual effects are probably um temp not you know or what they call cbbs it could be better is there there so there's not a specific edit they don't like say let's edit it for the screening and get it done like when they pull the uh, i don't think so because um from what i from what, I'm, what i understand is the directors didn't have any access to the footage the servers had all been wiped um once they made a decision they wiped the server so that no one could have access to the footage and potentially leak it or anything <clears> like that so i think it was basically what was screened cuz you know they had done a few um, screenings, um, and obviously the results were n not great, and that was part of the reason why they pulled the picture. So I think it was sort of like we'll just show this to the cast because cast and crew uh, they don't typically go to screening test screens. It's just usually the producers, the studio execs, and maybe an, a, the, the director, obviously, and probably the editor. 
because the editor usually drops off the cut. So right. um, that's it. So the rest of the crew, you know, all the, you know, the PAs, the sound guys, the loaders, none of the, none of those guys, the grips, they don't get to see it. So I think that was, it was sort of like a, here's a look at what you guys did. Unfortunately, we can't release it, but you can. So they it. won't pull it out later. If DC no. gets their legs underneath them, they won't say, Hey, once they get that tax write off, it's, it's a done deal. It's gone. It's will never be. It has seen. to be gone. Really? It's not, this no. isn't like the Disney vault back in the early nineties. We're like, catch it before it goes back in the vault. But uh, yeah, this is going in the vault and it's not coming back out. Wow. Ever. Interesting. <laughs> yeah. So no matter what happens with DC from this point on, no matter who takes it over or what, there's not going to. Yeah. No, I mean, yeah. I mean, it doesn't matter. It's, it's gone. And it's interesting that you bring up who takes over because that's the latest gossip scuttlebutt in, uh, in Hollywood is who, who the next Kevin Feige for DC will be. Is that what, is that what the title's going to be? The Kevin Feige position? <laughs> that's what they're calling. That's what Zaslav said. Uh, I think he said it on the earnings call. He said, I'm looking for my Kevin Feige. And supposedly... Wow, good for Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige should have walked into the studio. Good for, yeah, I mean, he's got a rep. Although, I will say this. Um, it's interesting. Uh, if you ever want... Every now and then, if you go to Deadline Hollywood in the comments section, there's always a, a, a very insightful comment aside from the usual this guy sucks which is usually this oh this person's terrible which is usually what happens and it's usually anonymous or somebody will say this person should be hired and it's usually anonymous because it's probably that person probably that person yeah. um yeah um but there was a very insightful um uh comment under so the, the, the drum roll dan lynn is supposedly the guy who's in in pole position for to take the lead at dc um, he is a, a well-regarded producer. Um, he has done films from the Lego movies to Ala the live-action Aladdin. Uh, he's well-regarded. Apparently, Alan Horn loves him. So that may be part of the reason why he's, he's in the mix, because Alan Horn is obviously now a conciliary at Warner Brothers and is in Zaslov's ear. Um, but what's interesting is the comment and Deadline said... You know, that's all great. Kevin Feige's awesome. He's got good taste, but you can't forget all the people that are below him. Like Louis Esposito, Victoria Alonso, all these people who are, and not to mention all the junior execs who are busting their butts to churn out all this stuff have been with Kevin sure. pretty much since the beginning. And there's a lot more to it than that. So just finding one figurehead is not enough. You're going to sure. need like a, a, a talented support staff underneath you. And I mean, we can debate the, I mean, honestly, resume comparing resumes. I don't really know what Dan Lynn brings other than what besides, I mean, Walt Armada had a lot of experience in big, big franchise picture. He worked on Shazam. He, you know, even though Dan Lynn was the producer on it, he was the production exec on it. So it's like, they all have very similar. So I'm like, what, what other than just being another body, weirdly where's the experience and listen he may be a huge comic book geek which is i think what has partially been missing but supposedly jeff johns and john berg were big comic book geeks and that didn't really help the dc universe so i think it'll be interesting i it, there's a lot of back and forth about whether or not this is accurate i mean i think dan lynn is also very pu publicity savvy now did dan lynn post it uh, his own should I, I comment on that? I mean, it's <laughs> possible he's Kevin Feige. <laughs> it's possible he's responsible for some of the more uh, the ones that say it's pretty much a done deal. Let's just figure out the finer details. But there have been several follow ups. 
Mapolani and his um, what I've been hearing says it's kind of not a done deal. They're trying to figure out what to do with his production company, Rideback. I think is the name of it. He's got a lot of you know, a lot of projects around town. What, what's going to happen with that? How are we going to buy that out? It's not a finished deal, but if it's going the way he wants to, you compromise. And then Sean McNulty, well, yeah. And then Sean McNulty today came out and said they're hearing that there's no offer on the table. It's just he's in the running. So it's just... Get Sean McNulty on the phone right now. we got to get this guy <laughs> on the phone. I want to know what's really happening. Yeah, Come so on, Sean. I, it's, Sean, it's tough. give us the it's insights. Yeah, give us the skinny, Sean. Come on. I want to know right um, now. We, I, so I don't really know. I mean, it's it's one of those things. But if he is the guy, um, it'll be... Uh, the ne- it's the next most talked about position next to who's going to take over Amazon, uh, the MGM position, now that um, Michael DeLuca and Pam Nabdi are at Warner Brothers. So... You know, we're, we are in a very like auteur business and, and it's often the case where one person's getting credit for everybody that worked on the mm. film. Right. Yeah. And the reason for that is obvious. There's in some cases a very visionary character. We just talked about Baz Luhrmann, very visionary yeah. person that's mm-hmm. creating the film under their, under their look. And without that person's touch, we're not going to see that and yeah the dp and actors and whoever whoever that might be in the film change to the look of some of these incredible kind of visionaries that way and sometimes it's the producer that is getting it done so spielberg's name is on the production side as well as director side his name is still very relevant as an auteur so you can understand where when trying to build this universe kevin feige is like the prima donna right now of universe building or universe overseeing because of his mm-hmm. long run with Marvel and to almost want that position for your own comic book line, Warner brothers is uh, is an interesting, like obvious, that's an obvious play, but I'm almost curious of, should you, you know, the way we see things and are processing things is recognizing the Marvel years are over. It's not, it's already evolved into the next phase. Mm-hmm. So are you chasing something from the past? Or are you building something in the future? Yeah. Um, and hopefully the the thought process here is recognizing, hey, if we're going to bury Batgirl, we should, we should probably imagine what all the possibilities are on the other side of this equation. They're yeah. trying to chase something or build something that might have come and gone. Yeah, what... <laughs> It's ironic you bring that up because what Zasloff has said in, in the earnings call when they were talking about Batgirl is like, we have a 10-year plan. We're starting from scratch. Really? I feel like that's kind of been the ongoing process. Like Everyone looked at what Marvel did with their phase one through four, I think it was, and was like, that was brilliant. It was absolutely brilliant. It was brilliantly executed. Um, it was largely because Kevin Feige was a comic book geek and he knew the Marvel universe. He respected the Marvel universe. He respected the mythology and he found people to direct the movies who respected the mythology. And that's part of the battle. Like you could arguably watch a DC movie, especially during Zack Snyder days. Like Zack Snyder hates comic books. It's just a visual medium for him to, you know, play with. I mean, you could say, I mean, that sort of was my reading of it just from watching some of the, his movies, but the flip side of it is to your point, Tim, that, yeah, that, that was a one, that was a one in a million shot and it worked beautifully. Now they got to figure out where they go from here. And I think that's what they're trying to figure out because that was all movies. That first, those first phases were all movies. Now they got shows they got to worry about and quality starting to dip and there's concern about the quality. And so these are all conversations they have. Well, even the, the platform has changed. The medium has changed. The theaters aren't doing what they used to do and the crowd's, aren't as curious as they used to be. 
Yeah. Um, and if I just saw like the zeitgeist this out, you know what I mean? So if I just saw another person building another universe, I would only simply compare it right. Game of Thrones or whatever. I mean, Game of Thrones, uh, Lord of the Rings, whatever's coming out, just compare it to the other universes that are out there. Even the Star Wars universe, I feel is second fiddle to the Marvel universe. In a lot of ways. Yeah. And Star Wars is a, a very original, you know, the the big story that we've lived our whole life. Yeah. We, but it, yeah. The, at the timing of it just felt like, oh, they're, they basically figured out universe building. So they're going to leverage Star Wars the same way. I, you know, I, yeah. I mean, I think uh, it's a great point about Star Wars. We, I, we haven't seen a movie in, when was the last Skywalker? I, three or four, two years ago. And I don't know of anything that's coming out anytime soon. I mean, they've been focused more on the shows, which isn't necessarily a bad idea because the movies were middling in quality. So it's definitely worthwhile to take a step back there. But it's interesting. And I think this is the big question. Like, where does DC go from here? Like, you know, Marvel is now dabbling into the multiverse, which is something that DC actually started earlier with their shows on the CW, which they did a lot of different versions. They had like one show where they had three Supermans show up. Yeah, right. DC was doing that before Marvel got into it. Um, so maybe they're going to lean into that more. Um, it, it, they really just have to figure out what they're doing. And mimicking Marvel at this point is not going to be a winning strategy. Yeah. Um, they got just got to figure out how everything is going to tie together. You know, they had originally committed to, you know, none of these movies are going to be related after the disaster of the, you know, the first Justice League, you know, everyone's like, okay, we're not going to, none of these movies are going to be related. We're just going to make one-offs and they're going to all going to be in their own universe and maybe we'll make something that ties them together. That was the strategy. And then, you know, it switched to, okay, now we're going to start making movies for HBO Max too. And it's all a matter of what's coming from the parent company. And Kevin Feige benefited from the fact that when, when Bob the first, Bob Iger bought Marvel and once eventually Kevin Feige was able to report into Alan Horn and Ike Perlmutter was sort of pushed off to the side, they, he was he was given carte blanche. It's like, you do what you need to do. We're here sure. if you need us. That's not what's happening at Warner Brothers. They just have to, Zaslav has to figure out who his guy is and say, okay, you go. Keep me up the breast. But I don't know if that's how Zaslav operates because he's got so much debt to pay down. He needs to get the company prepped for a sale, which is arguably probably what's going to happen. So there's a lot more going on and they just have to sort of suss it all out. Here's my prediction, right? One is I think we're going to have to see some um, buildup of original content, original scripts, original ideas. Um, you, could, you could argue that Top Gun is original and therefore even Maverick has, Maverick's play is still within an original timeline. It's not, a, it's not the Maverick universe. Although I'm afraid it might become, so I got to be careful. Well, after this box office, <laughs> yeah, know. you don't think Glenn Powell's Glenn Powell is sitting there, you know, uh, rallying like, for his next for his movie. That guy's <laughs> everywhere. He's definitely rallying for his own movie. <laughs> oh my gosh! Of course, the Maverick Universe. That's what we yeah. need. Yeah. Um, but the to be universe building everything. I don't know if it's as re as relevant as to kind of like finding just finding story. And appreciating story and knowing that maybe I don't have to track eight different characters lifespan over my entire lifespan again, you know, maybe, right. maybe Marvel has done its part for that generation and we just need to wait 15 more years before the next kind of thing pops in. Before we so read with film, the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. Films with a couple of sequels is not 
that, not bad. Like we can kind yeah. of live back in those days, but not to build universes around it. Um, but I also feel like this, the theaters are asking for something different and the next gold rush is going to be what belongs in a theater and that theatrical release opportunity, because if theaters really are saying we don't have enough content and Elvis is killing it, which it should, but Elvis is killing it. Maverick's still in the theater. That means there's no competition coming and wiping them out two weeks later. And we were so used to that over the, over the last 10 years, 15 years is, you had a two week run because the next gigantic film was coming in right afterward. Right. Um, so there's this great, obviously a lull of filmmaking over a two year period le leaves a deficit also. So there's going to mm -hmm. be somewhat of a little um, boom right there. And that's going to change the platform, the paradigm and opportunity for, or new stories. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, you, you hit on a really good point because there was an article today in the Hollywood Reporter about how, you know, we've been talking about Cineworld and the Regal potential Regal's exploring bankruptcy, AMC and all their crazy stock antics. And it's interesting. The article today was, you know, about a small shop, like the small theater theaters, like Alamo draft house say, you know, we're, we're fine. We're okay. We're, we're not struggling. We're good. I mean, obviously they've grown a lot smarter. They're not, all over the place. They don't build these ugly blocks next to the malls. They have very distinct look and it's a very distinct experience. All the things you need to be doing, but they're okay. And I think you're right, Tim. I think we've all trained ourselves so much to this idea of we're constantly like, oh, okay, what's next? What's coming this week? And this coming that everyone and their brother is sort of like, oh, we've got these doldrums. Oh, what are we going to do for three months? There's no movies coming out. Oh, the theaters are going to be in such trouble. And I mean, yeah, maybe that is. Maybe we're sort of seeing a somewhat of a reset back to the days when there weren't 10 movies opening on a weekend. Maybe, yeah. may, and that's not necessarily a bad thing because maybe it'll give time for the studios to actually put out good movies. They keep saying, we just need to make good movies. All right, fine. Then stop churning out 30 a, week, a year because that's just, you, you don't have the staff to do that. And it's impossible to produce that many good movies. You're going to have some bombs and you're going to have some hits. Um, it's an, you know, it's an, not an exact science. Nobody knows anything in Hollywood, as the saying goes. But, you know, resets aren't necessarily a bad thing. And, you know, maybe this well, could plus, be a, a renaissance. Who knows? Plus, Apple, Amazon, and Netflix all have plenty of money to make films, right? Yeah. You know, like, you have competition that can can create a film, release a film, need a platform to put it into. Why not do theatrical releases? And yeah. why let the studios kill themselves over these universe building moments and sneak something in there. I just think there's going to be a moment of disruption there a little bit as always. There's a deficit right now. So things will fill it in. Right. I think, well, yeah, I think, I think we're in that moment. I mean, uh, their Cinemark announced this week in partnership with Amazon, they're going to, they're going to premiere the first uh, two episodes, I think of the Lord of the Rings series. Oh, is that right? That's cool. A week before it comes out in theaters. That's really smart. That's Super a step smart. in the right direction. Why not? I mean, if the studios are going to be scrambling and, you know, holding things back and pushing things onto their streaming services because the streaming services isn't growing audience, then Amazon can swoop in and be like, yeah, here, you can have this show and go see it on a big screen. Like, like you're supposed to in a, in a epic, like the Lord of the Rings prequel. Yeah, totally. So, I mean, that, that's a step in the right direction. We need to see more of that. And, you know, I think it's gonna, it's, it's just, it's a change and we're all sort of in this, institutional mentality that it's always been this way now it's sort of shifting to a different way and everyone's panicking and you know listen i i know it's a default position because if things 
are there less movies, which means less money, which probably means less jobs. I understand the sort of the, the inclination to panic, but the, the result is going to be that the industry will last longer into the future versus just completely going off a cliff. Yeah, that's really great. You know what? It's funny you say that about the Lord of the Rings. How goofy is this? I, I went to the movies and I saw the trailer in a theater. Yeah. And my mind said, oh, yeah, that's that Amazon the Amazon TV sh- or movie coming out, yeah, and I didn't, re- I didn't relate it to the fact of wait, why is there a t- movie trailer in a movie theater for that? I didn't, that crossover didn't take place, but now it's obvious, right? They're releasing it in the theaters, but it's interesting how my mind put that still on TV, even though it's sitting in a theater seat. Well, I think it's also because Sue Kroll, who was the head of marketing at Warner Brothers, is consulting on Lord of the Rings with Amazon, so. Oh, smart. She's obviously bringing some of her experience from launching the Batmans and the Harry Potters in and largely being she was involved with the Hobbit. So she has Lord of the Rings experience. Um, so she knows this is these are if this she lives by this sort of you got to make it an event for somebody or it's an event for nobody. Yeah, that was cool. It, uh, that's, that's like the mantra. And you can see that's what she's doing. The trailer was really good, by the way. Kudos yeah. to whoever did that trailer. It was yeah. uh, I want to see it now because uh, I was like, oh, Amazon show. Oh, maybe I'll watch it when they're all done. I'll watch them in a row. Or whatever. Yeah, you'll binge it. But after the trailer, <laughs> it made me think, oh, oh it's coming up. Well, I got to make sure I watch that. Yeah, there you go. Hey, I know you're traveling this week, my friend. You have safe yeah, travels. Hope all is well with, Thank um, you. with your returning back to um, regular life. <laughs> regular <laughs> life, yeah. <laughs> Leaving... Um, the heavenly dreamland and heading back to the hard scrabble real world so i can see it i'll I can be see i'll be I'll, even, I'll be much more haggard when we return because i'll be back I, in philadelphia and i could tell you relaxed. already packed your suitcase because you're uh you took the last out of what was <laughs> yeah. left in the dirty clothes what's left in the dirty today. clothes bin <laughs> yeah we're clean i apologize for my garb i know i put i gave my hair and makeup people the week day off and we're packing up the house so obviously you, I scrambled over here to record because I'm in the midst of, you know, cleaning out uh, everything. So good. this we'll is what you get me time. in this garb. <laughs> I appreciate that, Tim. Thank you. All right. Safe travels. We'll talk to you later. Thank you. See you next week. <laughs>